Okay, welcome back to Healthspan. This is part four of Win by Dr. James DeNicolo Antonio. This is the last episode of the series, and in this episode, I'll be discussing supplements for improving performance and recovery. According to the FDA, a dietary supplement is an indigestible product that contains a dietary ingredient that is supposed to provide additional nutritional value or to supplement the diet. There are different categories of sports supplements, the first being sports foods. These are supplements with caloric value like sports drinks, protein powders, sports gels, and meal replacements. You have medical supplements. These are supplements used to treat nutritional deficiencies in medical conditions. These are things like vitamin D, magnesium, probiotics, etc. You also have ergogenic supplements. These are supplements intended to enhance performance, which include caffeine, beta-alanine, creatine, bicarbonate, nitrates, etc., and I'll be going into more detail about each of these later on in the episode. You also have functional foods. These are whole foods that are considered to be quote-unquote superfoods due to their nutritional value, things like spirulina, seaweed, raw cacao, mushrooms, etc. Finally, you have compounds that are prohibited by the World Anti-Doping Agency. These are these anabolic steroids, things like testosterone, clenbuterol, SARMs. You also have certain peptides like sermorelin. You have tesamorelin, different growth factors. You also have um, EPO, erythropoietins, aromatase inhibitors, and insulin mimetics. These are all banned by the World Anti-Doping Agency. Now, when it comes to supplements, there is one supplement that is superior to all, and I think everyone needs to be taking it. If you've listened to me enough, you know that's going to be creatine monohydrate. One of the most known muscle building supplements is creatine monohydrate. Creatine is synthesized in the liver and pancreas from amino acids, methionine, arginine, and glycine. So you can remember the mnemonic MAG for the supplement or for the amino acids that make up creatine. Methionine, arginine, and glycine. Up to 95% of the body's entire creatine stores reside in skeletal muscle. Roughly two-thirds of the creatine in muscle is stored as phosphocreatine or PCR and the remaining as free creatine. Rephosphorylation of ADP back to ATP during and after exercise is largely dependent on the amount of muscle phosphocreatine stores. So this is the mechanism of creatine. When we are exercising vigorously, we get breakdown of ATP. This is where our energy comes from. And creatine helps rephosphorylate the ADP into ATP to give us more energy. Creatine supplementation increases the availability of phosphocreatine via increased creatine content in the muscle, accelerating the resynthesis of ATP. Creatine also promotes, it has these myogenic regulatory factors that leads to more muscle hypertrophy via increased myosin heavy chain expression. This is a study done all the way back in 2001 that it shows that when we take creatine, it's actually upregulating genes that are involved in muscle hypertrophy. So again, another reason to take creatine. Again, you can attain creatine, obtain creatine from taking foods like methionine, arginine, and glycine. And you can get a lot of that, these amino acids from red meats and fish. But you would also have to consume a large amount of these kinds of foods. So the best thing you can do is supplement with creatine somewhere between 3 to 5 grams a day. I personally take thorin creatine. I think this is the best source of creatine. It's relatively inexpensive and it works. I take it first thing in the morning, 
but he does have some studies here showing that if you take creatine with carbohydrates or something else, it actually increases the absorption. So I'll get into that in just a second. Here is the summary of the International Society of Sports Nutrition's claims about creatine monohydrate. Creatine monohydrate is the most effective ergogenic nutritional supplement currently available to athletes in terms of increasing high-intensity exercise and lean body mass during training. There is no compelling scientific evidence that the short or long-term use of creatine monohydrate has any detrimental effects on someone's individual health. And if proper precautions and supervision are provided, supplementation in young athletes is acceptable. The addition of carbohydrates or carbohydrate and protein to creatine supplements appears to increase muscle muscular retention of creatine. So he has this study here. And it says recent studies indicate that combining beta alanine with creatine monohydrate produces greater results than creatine monohydrate alone. This is a study from Green et al. all the way back in 1996 in the American Journal of Physiology. Carbohydrates and protein help with creatine retention in muscle. Consuming 93 grams of carbs with 5 grams of creatine raises muscle creatine levels by 60%. So if you want the max benefit of creatine, take it with carbohydrates or take it with beta alanine. Personally, I just take it first thing in the morning. I think it's most beneficial if you just get it out of the way, take your 5 grams in the morning, and you'll get that sustained effect throughout the day. Now, one side effect of creatine is, of course, the weight gain due to the water retention. However, an improvement in skeletal muscle hydration, or water retention, is one of the reasons why creatine improves athletic performance. There is no evidence that creatine at a dose less than 25 grams per day causes any renal dysfunction in healthy individuals. So this was the argument from nephrologists and doctors that creatine is so unhealthy and it damages your kidney. And there is no evidence that creatine if you take less than 25 grams a day, has any consequential effect on your, on your kidney dysfunction. There's also a, another controversy about kidneys, not kidneys, the creatine and hair loss. So creatine has been known to boost DHT levels. This is dihydrotestosterone. You get DHT from testosterone via the, uh, the 5-alpha reductase uh, enzyme. And DHT has been associated with hair loss. So people try to link creatine to hair loss. However, this is more likely in genetically predisposed individuals who convert testosterone into DHT at a higher rate. There was one study a long time ago that showed uh, 25 grams. So there was a study of, I think, rugby players. They were taking 25 grams of creatine a day for seven days, and it increased their DHT levels by 56%. But these results were never replicated So again, you cannot say creatine causes hair loss. You also cannot say creatine causes kidney dysfunction. It is a very safe molecule, and I highly recommend all you guys to take it. Next up is the protein supplementation. There are different forms of protein supplementation. Protein supplementation increases muscle mass and strength during prolonged resistance training in younger and older adults. Protein supplements stimulate muscle protein synthesis when consumed before, during, or after resistance training. There's a lot of studies to back this up. Again, there's there's a whole overview of the different types of protein powders. Whey protein is the most important one and the one I think you should be taking. Whey protein is derived from milk. Whey is the most 
common and popular protein powder available containing 22 amino acids and all nine essential amino acids. It is fastly absorbed and provides a rapid rise in amino acids in the bloodstream, which is what we want post-exercise. It also raises insulin levels more than any other protein, which helps with the anabolic signaling. Whey protein stimulates muscle protein synthesis 31% more than soy protein and 132% more than casein after resistance training. This is a study that he mentions in this book. Whey protein also promotes glutathione production, which is the body's main antioxidant source. This is because whey protein has high amounts of sulfur containing amino acids, which supplies the body with cysteine, which is the rate-limiting amino acids for glutathione synthesis. So whey protein, above all, it is the best one you can take. The next one he mentions is casein protein. Casein, again, derived from milk, but with a much slower release. Is Casein is worse for stimulating muscle protein synthesis than whey protein. This has been shown in multiple studies. You also have beef protein. Beef protein, again, it has high amounts of glycine content compared to other types of protein. And in fact, the glycine content of beef protein is approximately three times higher than that of whey protein. Additionally, several studies suggest that beef protein isolate may be more advantageous than whey protein isolate, and he has some studies here to back that up. There's also egg protein. So egg protein, these are, you know, whole eggs are very satiating. The yolks also contain folistatin, which is a compound that inhibits myostatin and also promotes muscle growth via inhibition of the myostatin. You also have soy protein. This, of course, comes from soybeans. Now, the amino acid composition of soy protein is similar to animal protein, with the exception of lower methionine content. Soy contains isoflavones that can lower cholesterol and improve cardiometabolic risk factors. Isoflavones are these certain phytoestrogens that exhibit estrogen-like effects and bind to the estrogen receptor, which may reduce the risk of breast cancer by competing with the endogenous estrogen production. So this is where the whole soy is beneficial for reducing cancer. This is where it comes from. It acts as this competitive antagonist to estrogen at the estrogen receptor, and it lowers estrogen and potentially lowers the risk of developing things like breast cancer or these other estrogen-sensitive cancers. Now, you also have pea protein. Pea protein, of course, is made of peas, which is why it's high in fiber, yet is still very highly bioavailable. Supplementation of 25 grams of pea protein two times a day results in a similar increase in muscle thickness as consuming the same amount of whey protein. So there were a couple of studies to back this up. You also have hemp protein. Hemp seeds are slightly higher in omega-3 fatty acids, but it contains lower amounts of lysine, methionine, and leucine. Hemp also has anti-inflammatory and antihypertensive properties that support cardiovascular function. Just one more protein to mention is the rice protein. So I went through a whole lot of protein. You have the milk, whey, uh, casein, egg, beef, soy, hemp, rice, pea. And in my opinion, again, the most important one you can take is whey protein. Ranking the protein powders based on the muscle protein synthesis. So you have whey, pea, casein, egg white, soy, beef, rice, and then hemp. This is the whole list. Again, whey, pea, and casein are the top three you can take. He has this whole section on amino acid supplementation. And for, for, for protein synthesis to occur, 
you need all the nine essential amino acids in sufficient amounts. Ingesting essential amino acids increases muscle protein synthesis in a dose-dependent manner. Now, there is a lot of controversy about essential amino acids and BCAAs, branched-chain amino acids. Essential amino acids are way more potent and better to take than just BCAAs alone. So essential amino acids contain BCAAs. So the, the three branched-chain amino acids are leucine, isoleucine, and valine. And essential amino acids contain those and also contain histidine, lysine, methionine, phenylalanine, threonine, and tryptophan. These are the nine essential amino acids. Personally, I would not waste your time with BCAAs. If you're going to take anything, just take whey protein or just take essential amino acids. Do not waste your time with BCAAs. To move forward, there are also other non-anabolic amino acids that have performance-enhancing benefits. Arginine is one of them. Arginine is a conditionally, conditionally essential amino acid that helps to make nitric oxide, creating uh, creatine and L-ornithine. Uh, arginine supports cardiovascular function, blood pressure, wound healing, the urea cycle, and also exercise performance. Again, a lot of studies backing this up. Arginine also stimulates growth hormone secretion by suppressing endogenous somatostatin production. There's also L-citrulline. L-citrulline is a non-essential amino acid produced mostly from glutamine. And citrulline ends up getting converted to arginine by the kidneys, which then gets further synthesized into nitric oxide in a dose-dependent manner. So citrulline to arginine to nitric oxide. And citrulline also helps with the elimination of ammonia, decreasing lactate, and improving the use of pyruvate. Citrulline, again, has been shown to also help with insulin clearance after high-intensity exercise. Primary dietary sources of citrulline are things like watermelon, cucumbers, and also melons. And there was a study that he has here. In middle-aged men, 5.6 grams of, of citrulline per day for seven days improved arterial stiffness via an increase in nitric oxide and arginine. So nitric oxide is very important for relaxing our smooth muscles and allowing more blood flow as well. And you can get that from citrulline or arginine as well. And beta-alanine is another, another supplement, another ergogenic supplement that I mentioned. It's an amino acid that does not get made into protein but helps to produce carnosine in skeletal muscle. Supplementation with beta-alanine has been shown to raise carnosine levels and carnosine levels decrease the amount of fatigue and lactic acid buildup during exercise. So, you know, beta-alanine, beta again, another pre-workout supplement that has been thrown around a lot. And he has other supplements here as well, like beetroot juice and, you know, a few other supplements. But I wanted to move on to caffeine because of the importance of caffeine. So coffee is the third most consumed beverage worldwide after water and tea. Caffeine has been shown to provide wakefulness and vigilant boosting effects by blocking adenosine. So when adenosine builds up in your brain, you become very tired. And after you sleep, you clear out that adenosine from the brain. And caffeine helps block the adenosine from binding to its receptor, allowing for more wakefulness. So it, it is also a cognitive enhancer and improves reaction time, alertness, concentration, and motor coordination. It also has been shown to release dopamine, which is this reward molecule 
and is why so many people love to drink coffee because it makes you feel really good. And this can be useful for increasing motivation and also feeling uh, feelings of well-being while training. Caffeine is a known ergogenic sub substance in humans that can promote both aerobic and anaerobic performance. Compared to placebo, caffeine may reduce the rate of perceived exertion by 5.6% and increase endurance performance by 12.3%. Also, caffeine promotes lipolysis, which is the breaking down of fatty acids, and, increasing, and increases activated sweat gland density during physical activity so you don't overheat. And there was another study showing that post-workout caffeine consumption with carbs enhances muscle glycogen resynthesis and results in greater muscle glycogen content than when consuming carbohydrates alone. This is mediated by caffeine-induced activation of AMPK. So caffeine is a known AMPK activator, and this enzyme helps promote the translocation of GLUT4 to the plasma membrane and allows uptake of glucose into the cell. This is why caffeine is so beneficial to take. Now moving forward, just one last supplement to mention. It's the myo-inositol or inositol. It makes up every cell membrane. So myo-inositol, it's often called just inositol. It's something our body synthesizes from glucose and it makes up every cell membrane as phosphatidyl inositol and thus is important for cell membrane structure, function, and for hormones to work. And it has a whole host of benefits that I'm gonna get into. It's very important for athletic performance. It does things like improves glucose oxidation. It drives glucose into skeletal muscle, improves glycogen synthesis and formation. It drives creatine into skeletal muscle, helps drive calcium into bone. It improves insulin signaling. It improves TSH signaling, thyroid stimulating hormone. It also improves energy. So ATP production increases from better glucose utilization for energy and inositol compounds provide the phosphate needed for ATP production. It has other effects like improving sleep, has a calming effect, and, ca and something to note is that caffeine and coffee often deplete inositol, which is something to consider so you don't want to overdo the caffeine. Now, Cal Gillette always talks about PCOS. Um, inositol is very important for women with PCOS, so if you are not able to take metformin, you can take inositol for the improved insulin sensitivity and help with you know the symptoms of PCOS. So this was sort of a laundry list of supplements that you can take. Again, just to quickly recap, all these have its own benefits and the most important one you could take right now are creatine and whey protein. If you really want the best ergogenic supplements, these are the ones I highly recommend. And I'm gonna end the podcast here and I'm gonna end the book here. I hope you enjoyed this book. If you have any other book suggestions, please let me know. I'll leave my Instagram in the, in the description below. And I hope you look forward to the next podcast. And again, thank you for listening.